Again, we greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus, who has caused us by his grace to sit together in heavenly places today. I can truly say it was an inspiration for me to be here today and to drink at the fountain and to hear these brethren speak. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that preachers need preached to. I need to hear that. And it was good for my soul. We need to be refilled. We need to be re-inspired and reinvigorated to go on. And I just want to say to all you dear young folks here this evening, it's a blessing to be here with you again today. And I was greatly touched and blessed to see God moving amongst you. We'd like to speak this evening, first of all, on the fear of God for a short while. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 23.16, maybe we'd want to take that verse for a text this evening, Proverbs 23.17, if you want to turn to it there you can, but it says, let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Let us pray. Precious Lord, we thank you for this evening's service. We thank you for the extension of your grace to this time and this hour. We know not, but one day will be the last message we will ever preach. One day each of us will have heard our last message. Then we will go and meet thee face to face. So Lord, help us to understand the severity of thy will in handling your word this evening. Help us, Heavenly Father, that we are dealing not with transitory things of no earthly or heavenly value. It is heavenly value, Lord, not earthly value, but, oh God, help us to understand that these are souls that will live forever with you in eternity. Lord, it's an awesome, solemn responsibility to sense the presence of your Spirit among us as we look into your word again. Thank you for the faithful brethren that have proclaimed your truth today. Thank you for the enrichment it has been to our hearts. And Lord, just stretch these young people and continue to speak truth into their lives that will be able to use them to be a life to your glory and for their good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe I can say the fear of the Lord is in this place. And I believe your prayer has been that every person who sets soul on these grounds may sense the presence of the Lord. You know, there's a lot of people in the world today that don't understand what it is to have the presence of the Lord or to know the presence of the Lord. Maybe those who know the presence of the Lord know more sharply and keenly what it is to know the absence of the Lord. You know, we all in thought, purpose, and will are either living in God and moving towards Him, or we are in thought, purpose, and will living in self and moving away from God. And probably all of us at one time or another in our life has swung like the pendulum on the clock. Maybe towards God, and then maybe not towards God. I trust that we have not had that experience, but I know some of us have. We're all sinners. 
We're born to sin as was heard today. And there's times we just, in self, move away from God in thought, purpose, and will. But you know, eventually and ultimately, we will either go one way or we will go the other. And that will determine our final destination. So I trust tonight you will move in thought, purpose, and will towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think of the fear of God, it's not like having the, the scale of faith removed from our eyesight and being able to look up into heaven and see God sitting on the throne and understand that He looks down and sees me down here. We by faith knows that's how it is. But I believe it's rather more like the fear of God is understanding God is not just up there on the throne. He's right here with us on earth. And He's walking right beside us. And the fear of God is to have an understanding or awareness of His presence always. It's to have a sensitivity of the knowledge of God. It's a conscience and deliberate response to Him and His ways always. It's to never forget that God is always here. Now and ever. Sometimes our children get to quarreling over things, don't they? Now, maybe they don't in Washington, but if they don't here, they do in Pennsylvania. Sometimes, maybe two of you girls, when you were little, you had sisters, and you had dollies, and you like to play with your dollies, just like the little boys play with their, play with their trucks and their tractors. And you know, let's just, let's just create a, a scene here. Maybe there's two little girls in a room and they're playing with dollies. And the one dolly's just a little bit nicer than the other. I don't know if any of your dollies ever get this way in, in Washington, but sometimes the dollies in Pennsylvania, an arm will get missing. Or sometimes they'll get ink scribbled on their face. And they just don't look so nice. Well, I don't know if it's this way with the boys, but sometimes the trucks in Pennsylvania lose a wheel. And they only have three wheels on them. And they're just not as nice. They get scratched up and, and banged up. Let's suppose we have two boys here playing with the trucks. And they're really hauling, they're hauling gravel, they're hauling logs. They got these trucks going, and they're going up through the carpet there in the room. And they're just, they're just uh, playing with these trucks. And all of a sudden this one boy decides he don't like his three-wheel truck anymore. It keeps going down like this. So he reaches, uh, he pushes that truck in the corner. And he reaches over and grabs his brother's truck. Now, boys, I know you never do this, and you shouldn't, but sometimes boys do. And the other brother, he holds on to the truck and says, no, this is my truck. I had this one first. You can't have it. That's your truck over there. I don't want that one. That one has a wheel missing, and the, the dump bed don't go up, and I just don't like that truck. Or maybe the little girls are rocking their babies, and they're just, and all of a sudden, this one little girl decides she don't like this dolly. And she says to her sister, she pitches that doll at the other end of the couch, that I'm going to take your doll, and she starts grabbing that doll, and first thing you know, they ain't careful, we're going to have another doll without a leg. We're going to have two dollars that don't look too nice. One time we had one that, that one of the boys bit the toes and the fingers off of it. That doll didn't look too nice. In fact, I think that doll is still in our place. Even though that happened a long time ago. But all of a sudden, these boys are in there pulling on this truck, about pulling it in two, and Dad walks into the room at the door. And he just says, boys, or maybe he doesn't say a word, maybe he just stands there. And all of a sudden, ooh, he lets go of that truck, and he just 
sheepishly goes over and gets that old three-wheeled truck again, and he runs that truck around here. He looks up every now and then and sees his dad still standing at the door. You know what? Now, all of a sudden, there's nothing wrong with a three-wheeled truck, is there? It's just fine. I mean, that truck just is one of the greatest trucks there is. And he rolls it to the other end of the room and comes back. Every now and then, he keeps looking up to see if Dad's still standing at the door. Or maybe the girl sees the mother there, and all of a sudden, she lets go of the dolly. And now, all of a sudden, that dolly without that arm is just a fine dolly. And she just rocks that little dolly to sleep. Everything's just fine. That, that, that's a little picture of what it is to have the fear of God. Maybe us adults get that feeling sometimes when we see blue lights in the rear mirror. Yeah. All of a sudden, we are brought into reality with an authority that God has placed in our lives. And that's a, a, that's a small picture of what it is to understand the fear of God. It's to be aware, even though we cannot see Him with our eyes like the little boy can see his father or the girl or her mother standing in the door of the room. He is nonetheless there in a very real way and sometimes because we cannot see him we sort of forget that he's there don't we and we find ourselves doing some things that we would not do otherwise should Jesus Christ be standing beside me everything I do every place I go everything I look at everything I listen to every choice I make we might do things a little different if we knew Jesus was standing right by our side and heard and saw everything that we do well, brothers and sisters, to live, and young people, to live in the fear of God is to live that way, because He is standing there. And for us to acknowledge and be aware of His presence, though it's unseen with our naked eye, He is nonetheless there, and we are accountable to Him. Indeed, <coughs> we are. Psalms 33.8 describes a picture here of the fear of God. Let all the earth fear the Lord. And then he says, what, is they, what are they to do? Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And this fear of the Lord is not a frightening or alarming fear, like someone mentioned today. It's maybe not the fear even of a, a son that's caught in disobedience, or maybe a driver that knows he was speeding when he sees them blue lights. There's no doubt in his mind what they're all about. He forgot. He wasn't watching how fast he was driving. There are times we are pulled over and we don't know. We're sure we're within the speed limit. We, we don't know why we're being pulled over. But the fear of the Lord is more than just being aware of God. But, but it's standing in awe of God. I'd like to just leave that with you tonight. Young people... Stand in, that's where our word awesome comes from. I think awesome is used a bit too, too loose nowadays. It seems like everything's awesome anymore. No matter where you go or what you do, oh, it was awesome. Well, God alone is awesome. He is an awesome God. And that's, <coughs> that's where this word here, uh, or the word awesome comes from there. The, the root part of that there in the beginning is, and that word all means to quiver. It means to shake, or to quake, or to tremble before the Lord. And that might sound more like alarm or fear. But true fear of the Lord, He wants to draw you to Himself. You see, He, he, is, he is our Creator. He made every one of you young people. And I told the 19-year-old boy in the plane yesterday, I said, God just lent your life. 
That's all. We're going to go back to God again. He just gave us this little space called time here. He just lent us this time. We belong to Him. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. And we're going to go back to Him. And to live in His fear always is a blessed experience. The Bible says in Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I would ask you young people to write down what you think wisdom means. What do you think you'd write on your paper there? Sometimes we get a little bit confused about what the word wisdom means. Sometimes we equate wisdom with knowledge, and it is the knowledge of God. I will definitely agree with that. But sometimes we, we think a person that is educated is a wise person, or a person maybe with high IQ or aptitude, that, that's, that's, a, that's a wise person, or maybe a person with a lot of skills and education. And a lot of college degrees. We say, that's a wise person. No, that's not what wisdom means. I have seen a lot of educated people, many of them, very skilled and intelligent, do many foolish, foolish things. But on the other hand, I can say I have seen some people that didn't have much education. My wife's father, he only had a third grade education. He was an orphan. His mother died when he was three. His father was a drunk. It was during the Depression days. And there was five of the children. And the relatives tried to take what they could, but no one could take him. So they dropped him off at an orphanage with a little brown bag of clothes one day, a little suitcase. That's all he had. And so he just sort of pushed through school there. But I'm thankful to tell you that he was one of the wisest men I ever met. Why do I say that? Because of the choices he made in life. Wisdom is being able to take what we receive from God and put it into practical application. That's what wisdom is. That, my friends, is wisdom. Wisdom was the man down the hall last night. Luke's gospel don't call him a wise man, but Matthew's gospel does. Says he's a wise man who dig deep and laid his foundation on the rock. The foolish man, on the other hand, might have been a very intelligent man. Might have been able to make a lot of money. But when it comes down to the real bottom line of the whole matter of our souls, what we do with Jesus, what you do with Jesus, young people, is going to determine or not whether you left the fear of God, bring that wisdom into your life and practice it. What does this one songwriter say? What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. One day your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? What will he do with me? <coughs> that wisdom brings us into a personal relationship with God. To fear God is to know God. Knowing God. Do you know God tonight? Or do you just know about him? You know, I think I know President Obama. But you know, I really don't. I really don't know him. I see pictures of him. I read things about President Obama. I might even hear his voice in a speech. And I might, someone asked me, you know President Obama? Yeah, I know who he is. But you know, I really don't know him. I don't know what it would be like to spend a couple days with President Obama. I don't know where we'd go or what we'd do. I don't know his likes, his dislikes. 
Recently, I was traveling there in, in Tennessee, and the, the preacher who took me from the airport said, uh, you want to go to restaurant to eat the way home? I said, well, not really, but I said, I'm with you. If that's what you want to do, you do that. Well, he says, what kind of restaurants do you like to eat at? I like to eat at Chinese restaurants. I like Chinese food. What the problem with that is, I don't understand that. Their, their menu. I said, maybe if I could read their, their, their language, I'd, I would enjoy their food better. And I had a pretty bad experience in a Chinese restaurant one time, and for some reason, I'd never lost nothing there, so I normally don't go back to Chinese restaurants. But I said, I'm sure they have a lot of good food, and I hear people talking about their good food. I don't know if uh, President Obama would go to a Chinese restaurant or, or where he would eat. So you see, we, we can know God. We can know a lot about God. But we, you know, we really don't know God in a real, personal way. And you know, it's real important, young people, to know God. Jesus prayed in His high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Don't ever forget that little verse there. That is life eternal. That's what He said. This, I will repeat it, this is life eternal. That I might know, that they might know God. Jesus prayed for His disciples and all those who would believe on His disciples, that they might know God and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Knowing God is eternal life. If I don't know God, I don't have eternal life. And if I don't have eternal life, it's because I don't know God. To fear God is to know Him. Jesus says another place in the New Testament, My sheep hear me. And they know my voice. And a stranger they will not follow. Do you know the voice of Jesus? I wonder if anybody can tell me what that word voice means. Did you ever look that word up? Yeah, I think, it's, I think word study of scriptures is real important. What does the word voice mean? Can any of you students tell me what you think that word means? What was the Bible written in, Jordan? What language? The New Testament. Greek. That's right. You know what the Greek word is for voice? No. No. It's something you're all very, very familiar with. Probably every one of you have one. What do you think it is? Any ladies now? What do you think the Greek word is for voice? Do you know what it is? Let's let one of the preachers tell us, okay? It's a real simple word. Amen. That's it. Somebody said it. That's the Greek word. Boom. What was that? I didn't hear that remark. Good death. Well, he was right on. P-H-O-N-E is the Greek word for, for, for voice in Scripture. Jesus says, my sheep know my phone. Whose phone do you know? Whose tongue do you know, should we ask? That's another one of the, the, the definitions there. Tongue. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, John there in the Alpatmos said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice. The Greek says there, I heard behind me a megaphone. Great is mega in that verse. A megaphone. The question is, do you know the voice of Jesus tonight? Can you distinguish it? If we can't, we're in pretty serious trouble. Because I've raised sheep. I'm not an expert shepherd. I wouldn't 
consider myself to be a professional farmer of, of any kind, but I have tried my hand at it numerous times. And I've raised sheep, and there's one thing that sheep become very good at, knowing who your, your voice is. When I would just say, come on, girls, time to eat, they would all come running. You could have come to my place, said the very same word, mush with him. They wouldn't have paid a bit of attention to you. But they knew my voice. Just as soon as I went into that barn, they would get up if they were laying down and come all over to the feed trough. Let the veterinarian step in there and shoom out the door they went. They knew him too. They sure did. And they didn't like him. Do we know the voice of Jesus? To fear God is to know him in a personal way and to have communion with God. To have a common union with God, a common bond and union with the Lord, to have fellowship with Him. <coughs> he needs to worship the Lord. To fear God is to worship Him. What's the word worship mean? I think your Hebrew definition would go something like this. Three words. Self bowed down. That's what the word worship means. Self-bound down before God. You know, the Bible, someone mentioned about the first mentioned principle. That's a tremendous principle. That's been very helpful to me in my limited knowledge of Scripture. But the Bible is very self-explanatory. We find in the book of Matthew, a leper early in the Gospels come to Jesus and it says he worshipped Jesus. We find the same man in another gospel it says he came and he kneeled before Jesus didn't say worship but it helps us understand what worship is he got down and then the third one says he came down and I think it says he fell on his face before Jesus I'm not quite sure on that last one but it's something similar to that self bowed down before Jesus your Greek definition would add another word there and it means to kiss to kiss and to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the woman whose sins was great. And she brought that gift, that alabaster box, into the room there of Simon's house. And she broke that box. And Jesus said to Simon, Simon, I have somewhat to say of thee. This woman since I have entered has not ceased to kiss my feet and to wash them with the hairs of her head. What was she doing? She was worshiping Jesus Christ. To fear Him is to worship Him. Numerous scriptures, both old and new, that have tremendous promised blessings to those that fear the Lord. I'll read a few here, but you, you can make a study of that. There is many, many verses. Isaiah 33, 6 says, The fear of the Lord is His treasure. That's his treasure, the fear of the Lord. And he wants you to have that treasure. Proverbs 10.37, listen to this, young people. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days. Proverbs 14.26 and 27, I love these words. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. These brethren that have been speaking today and throughout this week are here to place a Strong confidence in your young lives. For the days that are ahead, you're going to need it. We all are going to need it. Fear the Lord is a strong confidence, and His children shall have a place of refuge. 
The fear of the Lord is a place of refuge. A place we can run to because we're right with Jesus. We're right there in His presence. Where else would you want to be when there's a calamity, when there's danger, when the enemy comes? Where else would we need to be? Would we want to be? The fear of the Lord, the presence of Jesus is a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord, verse 27, Proverbs 14, is a fountain of life. And I just want to say to you young people, if you have the fear of God in you, you are a fountain of life. The Lord in heaven only knows the possibilities and the unlimited uh, strength that you have when you fear the Lord as a young person. Go for it. Go for the fountain of life. That's walking with God. To fear the Lord is to walk with Him like Enoch did. To fear the Lord is to walk with Him like His grandson Noah did. That means He was in stride with God. That means He was in contact with God. When you saw Noah, you saw God. Because He knew God. Does the world see God? Do they see Jesus when they see me? When they see my walk? He identified with Him. The Bible says He moved with fear and prepared an ark. That was Noah. Because he feared the Lord. Indeed he did. Cornelius was a New Testament man that feared the Lord. I love that story. The story of Cornelius. It says he was a man that was devout and he feared God with all his house. Parents, fathers. Cornelius was a, I call him an unconverted Gentile. But yet he feared God in that state. And not only did he fear God, but he had the, he had the, the, the strength and the blessing and the power of God to transmit that faith into everyone in his house. Can you imagine that? An unconverted Roman centurion responsible for a hundred soldiers? No wonder God handpicked him to be the first Gentile convert. He feared God with all his house. And G uh, Peter said, no, Peter had a little bit of trouble going down there to Cornelius' house. He didn't want to do that. The Lord took him up there on Simon the Tanner's roof and, and let down a big sheet. And he saw all these unclean animals. And the Lord said, Peter, rise, lay and eat. Oh, no, not me, Lord. Uh -uh. That's a little out of my parks. That's just a little farther than, than, I'm, than I'm willing to go. But the Lord did it three times. The Spirit said to him, Someone down here to see you. You go with them. You go with them. He went with them. He did. He went in there. He told them right away, Now, you know, this isn't lawful. We're a little off grounds here. We're a little, we're a little beyond limits. We're a little out of the box, you know. The God had a glorious plan. And thank God Peter obeyed it, even though he probably was a bit skeptical of the whole thing. But you know, when Peter saw the glory of God, it says when he began to speak the word, the Holy Ghost fell on them people that believed the word. And Peter said this. This is what he said. Acts 10.35 says, He that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. That's a powerful New Testament truth. He that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted of God, be he Jew or Gentile. Be he a German Baptist or, or whatever else you might be, or be he a Pennsylvanian, or be he a Canadian, or a, a Washington State person. God bless each one when we fear him. 
Now, you know, the, the unbelieving don't have much fear. But when I think of Cornelius and how he feared the Lord there, I have to wonder how that all went. But you know, I remember as a young child, there was a lot more of the fear of God on the whole earth. There was a certain level of fear of the Lord in unbelievers. I'm told, I don't have documentation to prove this, but I'm told in the year 1963, there were only three recorded divorces in the entire country of Canada. Only three. Why? My father was born in 1925, and he said as a young man in his community, if a couple divorced, it was one of the most horrible, worst scandals. It was like these school shootings today. He said it was the most despicable thing for a man and a woman to divorce each other. Now, does that mean they were all converted because they didn't divorce? Well, today, a lot of people that are divorced claim that they're converted. Now, sort of the other way around. In fact, they say that rate is higher in Christian circles, at least so-called Christian circles, than it is in the unbelieving world. I want to tell you a story. This is a true story. I've seen this with my own eyes. In fact, it happened in my house. It has to do with the subject of divorce and remarriage. Three years ago, there was a brother in our congregation that worked in a truck garage. And this trucker came in here to his garage to have his tr truck worked on. And of course, of them working there, he soon saw this other trucker here. He was a, or the trucker, he was a Christian, so they, you know, had a lot of good things to talk about. And he invited the trucker to our church. And the trucker lives some distance away. I think it was an hour and something. But don't you know, next Sunday morning, here he comes. Lives an hour away. Him and his wife come to church. And it was Easter Sunday. This coming Easter, which is just a couple of weeks here up the road, it'll be three years. He came to church. She came to church. Although they just enjoyed it. And he had this little wife with him. And, and uh, she just was praising the Lord about this uh, service. And... And uh, my wife and I were the hosts that Sunday, so we invite them home for dinner, and sure enough, they come. Oh, they were just tickled to be there. My wife had a ham dinner that Sunday, and they just thought that was tremendous. She was a southern, she had this southern accent. And my father was also there for lunch that day, along with a whole long table of other people. My father passed away on September 1st of last year. But before that, he would stay with us a lot, we would keep him. My children took turns keeping him. My father was a preacher most all his life. He had a passion for souls, and he won many souls to Christ. He was a little strong opinionated, you would say. He loved to witness to people. He might, we would say, not always had as much tact as we thought maybe he should have. But he knew his Bible, and he knew it well. And he sat beside this man at the lunch table. And this man was just so blessed. And I heard him tell my dad about this new wife the Lord gave him. I thought, sir, if you know what's good for you, you'll keep your mouth shut about that. But my dad was, did pretty good at the table. I saw him as we ended up the meal. I saw him whispering something to this man. And, and I knew what he was asking him. Well, the meal was finished, and we go in the living room, and this is where the scene took place. 
It was in the living room, and us men went in there to talk. There was the brother that invited me to church was also there. There might have been four or five of us brethren there. And this man sat on a little bench we call a love seat there. My wife got it from her grandmother. He sat there. My father sat across from him. I tell you what, we no more got in there. My father got a Bible, his Bible, and he opened it up and he started in on this man about the sin of divorce and remarriage because I think either both of them or at least one of them were married before and the partner was still living. And he gave him both barrels. I was sitting there saying, easy, Pop. This man's going to get upset at you. And he'd sit there and, yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see. And then he'd make the man read the scripture. Now, you read, you find that verse there, Matthew, and I want you to read it. So he would read this. See what it says there? As long as your, as long as your first partner lives, it's adultery. You, you see that? Yeah, I see what you mean. Well, what are you going to do about it? So we sat there, and the women finished up, and they sat in the dining room. And between the living room and dining room is a set of double doors, and this little lady, this new wife of his, sat closest to us on a little couch there, and I seen it wasn't long. Her ear was cocked in there. She was listening to all this. Soon she up out of her seat with her Bible. She heads in there and sits beside her husband, the love seat. Well, then my father, he liked this. He, he right back through the whole thing into her. But i tell you what happened. That woman was so convicted of her lifestyle. And she said, I won't mention the church she was raised in in the South. She said, I know that's what the Bible teaches. I always did believe this was the truth. And she said, our, our church never used to allow divorce. Then after a while, they started allowing associate members. That means you can be a member, but not an official. Started that way. Now she said it wasn't very long the preachers started divorcing their wives and getting other wives. And now she said, they all do it. And when we got remarried, when I remarried this man, they told me I'm okay. The Lord forgave all that sin. Everything's fine. Well, my father told them from the scriptures that it's not fine in the sight of God. And that woman broke down. <coughs> she laid her head on her Bible. She just wept. And she wept. She wept tears of repentance. She said, oh, why didn't someone else tell me? She gets up. Didn't take her long to figure out what she's doing. She looks over him and says, I'm leaving you. That was it. That man was scared. I mean, he was about to tell her a cut about that, about that time. He didn't know what to do. And my dad said, that's what you need to do. And I, I think that man was about ready to... He, 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 he handled it real well. But Susie was her name. Susie was determined she was living in sin. And she come in contact with the power of God's Word that speaks truth into people's lives. And she went out that door and said, I'm packing my bag and I'm going down south where I come from. His name was Duke. Duke lost his wife in my living room. And she did. When she got home, she wrote us a letter saying, I'm down here and I won't mention the state she was in or the church she went to. She said, I'm back home again. And I just thank you people. I'm so happy again. You don't hear too much of that anymore. That's the power of God's Word. Don't ever neglect to teach and speak truth into people's lives from Scripture. <coughs> we never seen no more of him or her. It's the last we ever saw him. Three years ago. Well, the Bible says, the fool, in verse 1 of verse chapter nine or 14 of the book of Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
There's no fear of God in them kind of people. The Bible says in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear, you see, written on vehicles sometimes. Or fear this! But young people, I just want to encourage you to fear God. We're living in a wicked world, and we're not the only ones. You're going to have to make some choices, and some of them's going to get you in difficult situations sometimes because you fear God. Abraham got more than one time, didn't he? Yeah, he was traveling out through that one country, and he got to thinking this thing through, and he said, hmm, this king here, he's going to think that she's my wife. So he says, now, Sari, I will tell you something. If these fellas here ask you who you are, you tell them you're my sister. That's what you do. And don't you know that's exactly what happened? And because she told him that, they took her. They took her. King Abimelech took her. Got her in his house there with his company. God said to King Abimelech, you're dead. I'm dead? What, what, what is this? He says, what woman thou has is another man's wife. He went and told his servants, and it says they were sore afraid. They were scared. Abimelech says, where is that man? Where is Abraham? You come over here, Abraham. Abraham, what would you do? You told me this man, this woman was your sister. Why did you do this for? And you know what Abraham told King Abimelech? Can anybody tell me? What did he tell him? Do you know? He says, surely I said there is no fear of God in this place. And you see, that's how people live when they don't have the fear of God. Yes, they violate those, those lines of fidelity and holy matrimony. And Abraham said, they're going to kill me. He told them, like, I feared that you were going to kill me. And by the way, Kim, she still is my sister. He wasn't a total... She still is my sister. Yes, she is. He said, because there's no fear of God in this place. No fear of God in this place. The precious verse in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. I'd like you to turn there. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. Why did they do that? Because the Bible tells us we need to do that. We need to exhort one another daily, it says in the book of Hebrews. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. And if we know God and walk with God, we're going to express God to other people. And we're going to share God with others. Especially them that fear the Lord. We're going to have Intimate communication, just like you're doing here this week. Then they that fear the Lord, and the word then refers back to the days before. If you read the previous verses, it says there in verse 15, Now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work iniquity are set up. Does that sound like any kind of a generation to you? Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. And then comes this promise, in that setting, among those kind of people, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard, it says, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Walk with God, young people. Fear the Lord always. To fear the Lord is to honor the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And 
honor the king. Four short statements. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. I'd like to think about honor now in respect to the fear of God. God wants you to honor him. He created you to honor him. How do I honor God? Well, I'll give you a real good way tonight that you can honor God. You know how you can honor God? Honor your parents. So why don't you think with me a little bit here this evening on this? The Bible tells us in the commandments, Exodus 20, verse 12, the first four relate to us and God. The next six relate to us and our fellow man. He says there, Honor your father and your mother that thou mayest live long on the earth. So when you fear God, you're going to have honor for your parents. Ephesians 6.1 Children, you have some children here tonight. Are you listening? Listen, boys and girls. Some of this is for you too. It's all for you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Another scripture said, this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. When daddy and mother tell you to do something, when you obey them, that's right. And it says it's the first commandment with promise that you might live long on the earth and it might be well with you. So boys and girls, always remember to obey your father and mother and young people you obey them too, and you obey them by honoring them. Then it says there, verse 2, Honor thy father and thy mother. This is a design of God. It's His purpose for your will, for your life. It's His will for your life. To honor your parents simply means to obey them. And to obey them means to love them. Jesus uses this example in John 14, 23. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. There's a relationship established there. When we honor God, when we love God, it says we will keep his word. And when you honor your parents, you will love them. That's one way. That's the first way you can... You can uh, Honor your parents is to love them. You should be talking about, I, I love my parents. Well, good. Just keep on loving them. That's God's will for your life. And He don't put a cap on the age here where you stop loving or honoring your parents. No, He sure doesn't. And if you have trouble honoring your parents, just ask God to give you love for your parents. That goes a long way in honoring them. Because, you know, when you love somebody, it's not hard to obey them then. Mm-mm. Not when you love somebody. Well, it's a joy. It's a delight. To honor and to obey those that you love. And that's what God's will is for each of your life. To honor your parents. And to love them. The last verse in the Old Testament talks about is this, this, the Elijah coming and preparing the way before the Lord that he may turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And as you learn all this information here this week at this Bible school and in the presence of God's Word, I mean, it's just stacking it in there, verse after verse, principle after principle, lesson after lesson, you're getting loaded 
When you go home, then you need to relate to father and mother. And you need to honor them, young people. Honor your parents. It's the most beautiful picture in all the earth when a godly father and mother who have obedient children that love and honor them. It's the prettiest thing your eyes can ever look on in this earth. It's the most powerful testimony to the unbelieving world there is. When a godly father and mother have obedient and loving children who love, respect, and honor them, I tell you, that will go a lot farther than maybe a thousand messages we preachers can preach. When the world, the unbelieving world, with all the chaos and the destruction of the moral fabrics of our country, see that? It's a powerful testimony. Yes, it is. When you love your parents, obedience to them is natural. It's joyful. It's fulfilling. It pleases God. It says it's going to go right with you. Yes, it will. But to disobey your parents pulls you out from underneath the umbrella of God's protection that He has put with upon you through your parents. What does it mean to honor your parents? The word honor means a weighty reverence that holds in all seriousness, seriousness high esteem. Esteem your parents. It means to have regard for. It means veneration. It means something that's important. Something of high priority. And something you value greatly when you honor something or someone. I'd just like to encourage you to do that. When you go home from this Bible school, I don't know what your relationship with your parents is. I assume you all have a rather good relationship with your parents. But if there's some strains, if there's some areas that God may be putting His finger on in your life while you're here, you ask the Lord to help you work on that. And one way you can do that is to honor your parents. Honor also means to look up to with fond favor and respect and reverence. Honor means to esteem. Esteem your parents with appreciation and love. Never be ashamed of your parents. Okay? I used to before I was converted. I would go down the street. I'd like to stay a little behind them once I got a little older. But never be ashamed of your parents. They might not be what you think they ought to be. They might not be everything God wants them to be. But never be ashamed of your parents, but esteem them with appreciation. Always be willing to identify with your parents. You know, identity is a big thing to people. And you young people aren't no exception. Identity, it's a pretty, pretty important word, isn't it? Yes, it is. Always be willing to identify with your parents. Admire them for who they are, not possibly for what you wish they would be. Another way you can honor your parents is be grateful to them. Gratefulness is a, ungratefulness is a sin of the age. Man asked us one time, he was preaching in our congregation, he said to the brother on this side, I'd like to see the show of hands. How many of you men thanked your wife this week for doing the laundry? Not one hand went up. He said, you're all a bunch of ingrats. 
That's what you are. Ingratitude. Thank your father. Thank your mother, young people. And hey, some of you are going to be choosing life partner as God unfolds your life. And it's pretty important to observe how she honors her parents or doesn't honor them. And it's really important to you young ladies just to see how he relates to his parents. It's real important. Thank them for what they do. Encourage them for what they have done for you. You know, parents get discouraged sometimes. Parents have failures sometimes. Parents are not always what they should be and need to be. And sometimes we cop out under that. But that's probably when they need you the most. That's probably when they need a word of encouragement for you the most. My daughter's here, and I don't know if she'd like me doing this, but I'm going to do it. I found this in my clothing when I was in Kentucky. Read for us, Ryan. What's it say? Keep up courage. I love you and miss you. Yeah. That, that might not seem much, but you don't know what that does for a little fellow like me. God bless you, Joanna. I tell you what, my Bible, my briefcase is just full of these little notes. Here's another one. I'm praying for you. I love you so much. I'm glad you're my dad. Thank you for your faithfulness. Express your appreciation and your love to your parents. Find ways to do it. It don't have to be by little sticky notes. It can be out, but it certainly won't hurt. It certainly doesn't hurt. It has a tremendous way of bonding your hearts to the hearts of your children. A brother preached about Hannah this morning. The name means gracious and he loves that name and he called called one of his daughters that name. I have a little note here to me and to my wife from a Hannah. I'm going to read to you. Dear Brother David, Sister Kathy, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to come and visit us. The services, the fellowship, just having you here has been such a blessing and encouragement to me and all of us. <laughs> thank you so much for all you've done for us. We are going to miss everyone so much, especially for church. Please come and visit us again. We really appreciated your help, your advice. We really need it. May God bless you richly. Sincerely, Hannah. Hannah is 17. Hannah lives far away. <clears throat> Hannah gave us the privilege of being in her house in January, just two months ago. Brother Dale Heisen and I, we flew down there. She lives in the Caribbean Sea. She don't have any other girls her age to relate to. Not one. I took my niece along because she's 17, and Joanna, that was the two girls, and there was another one, the third girl that went along from our congregation. Three, three couple, or three families down there. They put us in Spanish Wells, one of the most beautiful spots I was ever on in my entire life. And I've been to some pretty places in Jamaica, 
But I've never seen God's creation of the Caribbean Sea so beautiful as I did there on Spanish Wells. She lives across the island, just about 15 minutes away, on another island called Eleuthera. Her father runs a ferry between the two of them. But you know, little things like this, God can use. And while Hannah probably may never see me again, I don't know. I was only there once, just stayed a week, and now I'm gone. But before I left, Hannah took the time to pen these words. She handed me this before we left. She's a tremendous worker. She dresses modest. She has her head covered. She practically made all the meals while we were there. Her mother was expecting the tenth child. And it was a load for them people. But that young lady can cook. She can keep house. She's quite capable. But she's pretty lonely. She's pretty lonely. And she just wanted to express her appreciation. Not only to your parents, but it honors your parents when you honor everyone that you should be honoring. <coughs> Another way you can honor your parents is be willing to always and freely talk to them. You see, God made us relational beings. We're not like well, I should, I, maybe I'd be, a little, be careful what I say here. I was going to say we're not like dogs. We're not like horses. I don't ever hear them talking to each other. I think they do have ways to communicate. I'm sure they do. But when God saw Adam in the midst of all those animals and them creatures, and he gave Adam the blessed privilege of naming them, but it says for Adam, there's no helpmate. And says God saw that it was not good for the man to be alone. Why? Because God made Adam a relational kind of person. Adam didn't have no one to talk to. That's why. And God made us to be able to relate to each other and fellowship and talk to each other. And young people, don't ever clam up. Don't ever think when you get a certain age, you just don't have to tell dad and mom and say everything anymore. There's nothing will bless your mothers more, young ladies, when you can tell them all your heart. Nothing will bless your fathers more, young men, when you can tell dad and mom all your heart. One young lady said in one of our sisters' meetings one time, my mother was my closest friend. I tell you, that's a tremendous testimony. You tell your closest friend everything, don't you? Yes. And you know, it hurts daddy and mommy sometimes if you can't relate to them. Why don't you think about that? You might be sitting there saying, well, they don't talk to me. And some of us daddies do have time, hard times relating sometimes, maybe more than the ladies. Some mothers have a difficult time talking to their daughters. But if you want to honor your parents, just open up your heart and be free and open to always, always be willing to talk with them and enjoy them and laugh with them, and live life together in the fear of the Lord with them. We had seven children, and it was a tremendous blessing to our lives. We talked, we laughed, we sang. Do I thought the old roof in that green Plymouth station wagon was, was going to go flying off. We'd go down the road, and I went all over God's green earth preaching the gospel. I'd pack them in there, and away we would go, singing to the glory of God. Now they're all married but one. Joanna, she's here with us this time. But I tell you what, it created an atmosphere amongst us 
And my wife and her daughters were tremendous communicators. My wife and Joanna still is. They'd stay up all night sometimes, I think, if I'd let them, and just talk and talk and talk. They just love sharing with each other. It bonds you to them. And parents, what it does, it creates colorful memories. It makes a home that your children will always love. Blessed is the child who loves his home. Blessed is the child who loves to come back even after he or she is married to home again. We get our children together about every other Saturday night and they come home. And Kathy makes to them big round things of pizza, second to none. And we sit there together and we just talk and laugh and, and we need that. You need to do that. I'm not saying laugh that much that it violates the seriousness of life. That's not what I'm saying or meaning. But you need to enjoy each other. And that is tremendously important to your father and mother. And I tell you what, some father and mothers do not have that opportunity. I sat in Kentucky and I listened to a man 74 years old. It was a painful story. It was a painful story. He would talk and then he would cry. And then he would talk some more and then he would cry. The oldest daughter still there with them had some physical impairments, maybe some mental too, I'm not sure what all. And then they had a number of other girls. And then they had one on the end that they loved very much and was very dear to their heart. Three years ago, she died in that crash of the John Ash family there. When that tractor trailer ran headlong into that van and killed ten people, she was one of them. And then he says, God took her away from us. And the other ones don't live in the community. Some of them are unfaithful to the Lord. And they're just a pretty lonely father and mother now living there. And it's a painful, painful story. Yes, it is. They're Christian people. And he says, we have to go on. We must go on. They do have a faithful son in their area, in their church there. And he's blessed to have them. But young people... Remember to honor your father and your mother. My son, it says in Proverbs 1.8, and that includes you ladies too, Hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. He also says in Proverbs 3.3, 3, Write them upon the tables of thine heart. Always receive the correction of your parents with gratefulness. It might not always be what you would like, it might be, maybe even somewhat restraining. Listen with careful attention to the things your parents teach you. Hide it close in your heart and determined by God's grace and the instruction of your parents to put them into practice what they teach you. <coughs> it's going to prepare you for life's journey and put you on a solid foundation. You see, they were young too one time. They want to give you guidance in the way you should go. Someone alluded to the fact that you are like arrows in their hands. And when an arrowman or a bowman shoots an arrow, what does he do? Does he throw like a frisbee? You're not frisbees in the hands of your parents. You're arrows. Frisbees go anywhere, don't they? 
That's how a lot of young people do too. Unfortunately, in the world today, just go any old where. And they don't know where they're going to land, just like Frisbees. But that's not the case with an arrow, is it? No. An arrow is pointed. An arrow is skillfully crafted. An arrow is designed to go straight. An arrow, when released, is pointed in a certain direction. And the instruction that your parents taught you is pointing you in the direction for the mark. The mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I believe they have poured their lives into your life and they have pulled on that string with all their might so that you go as far towards that mark as possible. Not only towards it, but attain it. It's a blessing when you can walk in the ways your parents have taught you. Don't forget the mark that they shot you for. Some arrows hit a twig and they go off on a side road. And you can do the same. Yes, you can, but don't do that. Yeah, they know your temptations. They know your fears. They know your doubts. The things that trouble you. They know what you're struggling with. They've been down this road before. Maybe some of the applications are somewhat different from now, from when they were young. But really the bottom line is still the same. There's not a lot of difference. There's just two ways that you can take. It's either God's way, as I said in the beginning, or it's the world's way. Indeed it is. So keep your confidence in your parents. Trust them. And trust all the authorities that God has placed in your life. Not only your parents. Peter said they're honor all men. Sometimes some of you might have unchristian parents. That might be the case. Does that relinquish your God-given responsibilities? No. Just because God's order and His chain of order has a link that is impaired does not excuse or justify you to impair your link as well. It doesn't say, honor your father and mother if they're godly. It doesn't say, honor your father and mother if they've always taught you right. It simply says, honor them. Because they are your parents. You know, Peter said, honor the king. In 1 Peter 2.17, who was the king? Was he not Herod that put him in prison? It wouldn't have been by the grace of God he would have killed Peter. He certainly would. He would have been executed on that day, but the night before, the church prayed, and Peter was loose from his chains and out the prison door and down the street and out the city gate, and he was set free. And then he writes in Holy Scripture, Honor, that man was going to kill me. That's pretty tough to do. That's God's will, that we honor all our God-given authorities in our life. I'm not saying that our authorities can't abuse their place of authority. They can. Policemen can abuse their place of authority. Our parents can. Sometimes church leaders can. They might be weak. They may be negligent. They have faults. They do. They will make mistakes. Forgive your parents when they make mistakes. You need to do that. It's real important to forgive them and let God just restore whatever that relationship is. Keep that opportunity there Keep that continuity going. Just let the Lord bring you into perfect harmony with Him. A lot of young people 
miss it here. I don't travel a whole lot. I do a little, but I've been around the block a time or two. And there's a tremendous amount of unrest in churches. A brother drew a circle up here today with a line through it. And we probably don't know the extent of that power working in the churches. And one of the saddest things about those divisions is the young people sort of get lost in the shuffle and fall through the cracks in so many cases. So many cases. By the scores. And we have a community in our place that's just world of all. Mennonites and brethren of numerous kinds. And one church house just right after another. And they're multiplied. And Amish. And we have lots and lots. And it's a good community to live in. But I tell you what, young people, the devil is having a heyday. He's having a heyday. Keep your life for Christ. I rather talked about purity today. I was recently in a place and a young man responded. The preacher wanted me to go in and talk with this young man and he spit his story out. He got on to the wrong thing on his cell phone on the internet. And he said, I'd get over it and I'd repent and I'd get right back into it. And the young man sat there with anguish on his, on his face. And he said, it's just so bad. He says, I feel I've been cheated. Cheated out of my chastity. Chastity. Cheated out of his pristine, youthful purity and innocence. I just feel so cheated. I hardly feel I'm worthy to ever date another girl. Another preacher, I heard this story in Kentucky, and I know this preacher well. He don't live far from me. He went to have some sort of meetings, and he said there was eight or nine young men that sat there all in a row, good-looking young men as far as their, their dress and their order and in the church. But he said that that week was over, every one of them confessed failure in that same area. Every one on that bench, right down the line. It's a tragedy. One casualty after another. Young people, be thankful you're here tonight. I didn't have a Bible to school to go to when I was young. Didn't have these kind of things. I'm sure maybe some groups did someplace, but we didn't. We didn't have a lot of what you have. But maybe we had some of a lot of what these young people don't have today in the, in the general scope of young people. It's so sad. It seems like the devil is just picking them off one after the other. You go to the grocery store and there's a young lady with a veil and a plain dress. You go back three weeks later, it's all gone. Hair's cut, earrings, right overnight. Some dress gradual, some just take that step, throw in the towel and go out. Young people, don't ever throw in the towel. I've been to places to preach. Seen some of these young people go back again in a year or two or three or ten. Gone. Not there anymore. We're so-and-so. They're not here anymore. They're gone. But it's not all that way. Recently, I preached a message and a young lady responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
gave her her heart, gave her heart to the Lord. Thirty-eight years ago, her mother responded in another message I had and gave her life to Jesus Christ. What a blessing. What a blessing. I didn't even know it. Her mother told me, yep, it's when I was in a tech meeting you were preaching is when I was converted. And her daughter, during that week, was converted to Jesus Christ. But when your church fails, if it does, or your group, or your parents, or your home, or your friends, you're going to have some rough spots. And that's why these brethren are so intent, deliberately depositing truth into your heart that you can fear God and take you through them bumpy times. Colin says you better fasten your seatbelt. We might have some bumpy, bumpy flight up ahead here. And you need to fasten your seatbelt. I hear a lot of young people say I'm confused. I hear a lot of people young saying I don't know who to trust anymore. There, I hear a lot of people saying I've lost confidence in my preacher or our preacher or our church or my parents. It's almost used to justify their downward spiral slippery slide into the world and apostasy. I just want to caution you against that. When you think you get the rough end of a deal, and it isn't fair, and I pity a lot of those young people, it's not fair. Jesus never said everything in life would be fair. I just want you to remember and ask yourself some questions. Here's just four questions I want you to ask. What is life? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? First one again is what is life? The second one is who am I? The third one is, why am I here? And the fourth one is, where am I going? Don't ever fall prey to that snare of the devil. Where you say you lose confidence, you're confused. You don't need to lose confidence. You don't need to be confused. You may be disappointed with people in life. I promise you, you will be sooner or later. Yes, you will. But don't count the just or set aside the just for a thing of naught, as Isaiah 29, 21 says. I'd like to give you some real simple answers to those four questions. Number one, what is life? Life is the opportunity that God lends you to choose His way and then give it back to Him. That's God's will for your life. It's not to get lost like a Frisbee. Nor error that gets sidetracked. Life is the opportunity that God lends you, not gives you. He does give it to you, but He just lends you. This opportunity to choose His way and then return it back to Him again. The second question, who am I? You are a living soul created by God, and you are not your own, but you belong to God, your Creator. That's who you are. You are not your own. You are a living soul 
created by God, and you are not your own, but you belong to God, your Creator. And give yourself to Him always in the fear of God. Revere your parents. Revere the church. That's important too. You honor your parents by honoring the church. You honor your parents by honoring the ministers. You honor your parents by honoring your teachers. You honor your parents by honoring your employers. You fear God by honoring them. Third question is, why am I here? You are here because it's God's design and purpose for your life. He chose to bring you here. Yes, He did. It's God's design and purpose for your life. It's not to live for yourself, but to love Him, to live for Him, to serve Him right here and now and wherever else He leads you. God has a purpose for every one of you young ladies. You might have a hard time finding it. Like one young lady did. She was getting up in years and she wasn't getting married and she started getting concerned. And she went to her pastor one day and she expressed her concern to him and told him, you know, I'm, um, I'm so old now and I'm still not getting married. Pastor says, well, you know God's plan, don't you? It's one man for one woman and you can't improve on that. She said, I don't want to improve on it. I just want to get in on it. That's all. Get in on God's plan and don't get lost in the shuffle. Get in on it. And I don't know how many of you will be married, as our brother said today, but some of you will find a life partner. And many of these ways and things, be they so simple in nature, is extremely important to watch for in that companion as you seek God's will for a life partner. Watch for these simple little things. man told me down there in Kentucky, he brought a young man that was 30 years old to me. He said, I want you to do this young man a favor. I said, what's that? He said, could you find him a wife? And the young man got rather embarrassed. So I mean, he needs a wife. I didn't say it, but I thought of it later. Well, give me a picture of him and give me a bank statement. And we'll start with that. We'll start with that. That's pretty important, our finances, young people. Brother touched on that today. It's a shame and a sinful disgrace when these young people get married, are in so far in debt, and don't have anything to show for the debt. And then they struggle to pay rent, and they struggle to make ends meet. And I tell you, this isn't just an unheard of uh, exception somewhere out in the blue. Now, when my wife and I got married, I'm going to tell you something here tonight. You probably aren't going to believe it. I was 17 when I was married. And I have one regret. You know what that is? That I didn't get married sooner. <laughs> I didn't say younger. I said sooner. I can highly recommend marriage to you young people. I've lived 42 and a half years with that lady sitting in the back there. I tell you, it's been heaven on earth. We've never had a heated argument in our life. Not one. You don't need to. I don't know how you can with somebody you love with all your heart. You see, she's taller than I am. And she was quite a lady of society. She was a graduate of a pretty popular high school. In fact, she was Miss FBLA in her school and three surrounding counties. And when she took a state contest for Miss FBLA, she came in number three in the state of Pennsylvania. 
And you know who I was? Just a little old farm boy with an eighth grade education. Just an eighth grade education, that's all. And I come into her congregation and she gave her her hand in marriage. And there was a lot of other young men. A lot of other young men that would have liked that hand. And I don't know how I ever got it, except it was God. And I used to ask her after I was married. I'd kid her sometimes. I'd say, honey, why'd you ever marry me? I mean, look, you could have married someone at least as tall as you. You could have married someone that was good looking. You could have married someone that at least had a better education. Or you could have married someone that had more money. You know what I had when I was married, boys? I'm ashamed to tell you, $1,500 and a 57 Chevy. That's all I had. That was it. She had $6,000. That might not sound like a lot of money to you people, but I want to tell you, 1970, $6,000 was pretty much money for a young lady to have saved up. She was a secretary at New Holland Machine in the purchasing department there, and she saved her money. So we had $7,500, and we bought our first house for $8,500. And I tell you what, it's been a beautiful life. It's been a beautiful, beautiful time together. But I don't know if God will lead you in that. The young men, watch your pennies. That's real important. Watch how you spend money. It's important that you know how to honestly earn money. And young ladies as well. It's important that you know how to wisely save money. It's also important that you know how to... Let me, re let me reword that. It's important that you can honestly earn money. It's important that you know how to wisely spend money. It is important that you know how to discreetly save money. And it's also important that you know how to generously and cheerfully give money. That's the four aspects of money. And I tell you what, the devil's out there and the world's out there and they'll take every dollar you got. They'll take you down to nothing if you let them and a whole lot farther than nothing. You'll be less than nothing if there is such a thing as less than nothing. Yes, you will. That's important. But what I want to say here is ask yourself those questions and don't allow the bumps in life. Don't allow the knocks and the disappointments of those, especially authority in your life, let you get so out of sorts that you lose your moorings and you end up going down, 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 many of them down that slippery slope of no return. Thank God some do come back. Thank God God does intervene in some of their lives. But your life's before you, and I need to quit here. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. I want to leave this passage with you yet before I leave. Tonight, First Timothy chapter 4. You need to find that scripture back here. I'm going the wrong direction. No wonder I'm not finding it. Real familiar to you. Maybe some of the topics were these scriptures already. Let no man despise your youth. Now that word despise there means don't let anyone intimidate your young years. Don't let the thinking of the world or the wisdom of the world cause you to feel inferior to serve Jesus Christ and stand up for Him on both feet in this society just because you're young people. That's what he's telling Timothy. Let no man intimidate or belittle you to serve Christ just because you're a young person. 
That's the best and the greatest time to give your all to Jesus Christ. Did I ever tell you why my wife married me? You know what she used to tell me then? Because I know you loved me with all your heart. And she was right. And I still do. And it's, it's beautiful, young people. It's beautiful. I have to tell you that there. Be thou an example of the believers. That's a little bit backwards, isn't it? We usually tell the parents and the older folks, they should be examples to the young people. Here the inspiration of Scripture is giving you the mandate, you be a believe, an example of the believers. Do you think that has any effect on the world? It sure does. It's one thing for me to sit beside an old, an old fellow like me to sit beside a 19-year-old boy in the plane and try and tell him about Jesus. But I tell you what, when it's another 19-year-old boy telling him, he'll listen a little closer. Yes, he will. It'll affect him more. He might just think, man, you're, you're behind the times. Poor old guy, you, you know. I don't know what they might think. Be thou an example of the believers in word. Make your words your bond. Make it that honest. In conversation, that means your behavior. In charity, your heart that flows over with the royal law we heard today. In spirit, not capital S, not the Holy Spirit, your spirit in you, your demeanor, your personality, the way you do things. Maybe not so much what you do, but how you do it. The spirit you do it in, be an example of the believers in faith. All oh, let the Lord cause your faith to grow exceedingly. And what else? In purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for these precious youth tonight. We thank you for this occasion. We thank you for the intuition you put into the hearts of these men to bring about such a situation as this. I want to thank them and ask your blessing upon their endeavors here. Thank you for the staff and all the work that goes behind the scenes in making this happen. Thank you, Lord, for the faithful service of your people. And thank you for these precious youths. Every one of these, dear youth, have a soul that's worth more than all the accumulated wealth of this entire world. When that world burns up, when it passes away and is no more, their soul, souls will still live on. Live on. Live on in eternity. Father, I pray, give them determination to fear you. Give them the intuition. Give them the ability to relate well to their parents. To honor them. To revere them. To esteem them. To love and obey them. And Lord, when they get them hard knocks in life, when they're disappointed by those they should have had confidence in, and if so blows the wind out of their sails, Lord, oh God, I just pray, I hold them up to your throne. I ask the power of the blood of Christ to cover them. Remove Satan's hands from off their lives in that moment. Lest they be swallowed up in defeat and despair. Father, if you should lead them to marriage, well, they will come into establishing a home for God. May they start preparing for that home now. 
May they start praying in God's will to make them virtuous young women and godly young men. Bless them and bless this word to their hearts and each of our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.